Greetings, glorious humans, gentle ladies, lad men, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Devolver Digital Forecast here at forecast.devolverdigital.com. Hi, I'm your co-host, JM, and this is your co-host, Robbie. And welcome to the forecast. Yeah, f- forecast. I've Forecast. got 757 hours and five minutes disk space remaining for recording on my PC. What have you got? 80 hours and 19 minutes. Yes. Damn it. Damn it. All right, I'm out this episode. It's all Robbie. <laughs> uh, it's not because i got nothing to say. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, uh, what's been going on, Jim? What have you been doing? Well, following you, oh, our conversation with John Ribbons, what? Uh, following <laughs> our conversation with John Ribbons, what did you do? <laughs> uh, I I started playing Sea of Thieves. Oh, how was it? Yeah, that's good. It's I I enjoy it. It's it's really weird because it's it's like an MMO light in that there's no character advancement. Like hmm. the skills, like there's no new skills, there's no new abilities, there's no upgraded ships. Uh, that you can get like anything that you start with is what everyone starts with every time they log in and if they want to find like special weapons they got to go out into the map and and find them uh and the only things you can buy with all your loot are skins for your character and like your weapons and for your ship and stuff like that so it's interesting in that way oh okay um but i'm having a lot of fun sailing the ships around uh are there lots of uh racists and pedophiles in MMO light, or or is it light on those as well? Um, I haven't encountered. Uh, I don't know what games you play, Rob. <laughs> um, but uh, no, no, just just some pirates. Uh, it is all open PvP, and it is all uh, you know. There's no private servers. There's no safe zones. Yeah. So wherever you are, someone might attack you. But it's a large open space, and there's very few, like relatively few people. It seems so. Uh, you can generally avoid, you know, people. And when you see another player, it's kind of like, oh, no, there's another ship. Like, what do we do? What do I do? Like, where do we – should I sail away? Should we attack? Should we see if they have more loot? Should we try to protect the loot we've got? Uh, it's really cool. And the mechanics of sailing the ships are, are really fun too. Like, you have to like, – it's not like – it's not very video gamey. Like, it it, mm. it feels like, like you turn the rudder and then the ship slowly turns and you've got to turn the rudder back, you know, things like that. Right. Uh, so I'm enjoying that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, staying on a pirate theme, I have been uh, replaying The Secret of Monkey Island. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The first one. Nice. Oh, it's good fun. Yeah? I, um, yeah. Cause, well, I, because I started playing, so, uh, I, I re-downloaded the, uh, the special editions that came out uh-huh. a few years ago. And um and I and I started playing in the special edition mode because I like all the voice acting and stuff. Uh-huh. But I soon just I don't know what it is about that game. It's one of the few games I think that I just like I just, I reverted back to the old um to the old kind of like Amiga style the original version of the game, and it's yeah. just so much more enjoyable that way. I don't know if it's just because like. Because it, the whole thing feels very retro going back and playing the yeah. game, you know, the way that I played it whenever I played it first yeah. time around. And it, it <clears throat> but it's so well made that, like, it doesn't feel like really archaic. Everything just works, yeah. it just looks old. Well, good pixel art 
is like you know good impressionist art like it looks good like it's good yeah like it it is evocative of what it's supposed to show yeah it just looks good but it's just more just like the interface and stuff like it just yeah. it's just really easy to play and really enjoyable and it's yeah. really fun so uh, i've been playing that which is really good i've not finished it yet i sort of barreled through the first um sort of two-thirds of it and then yeah. and then i just got busy and haven't haven't gone back to it but i want to go back to it and then i want to play the second one nice. as well there's a i thought of you there's an achievement in uh sea of thieves called how appropriate you fight like a cow hmm. uh, i feel like there's a there's got to be a monkey island reference in pretty much every pirate game right uh, sure I, yeah I, I the 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 sword fighting with the jokes scene was always my favorite part of monkey island so yeah. i was very excited for that Hmm. Oh, I know someone who I was just thinking <laughs> pirate games having Monkey Island references. Uh-huh. Assassin's, Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Uh, yeah. Would probably have some references in it. I wouldn't know because I haven't played it. Uh-huh. Uh, let's just assume you don't know. Uh-huh. Um, but we know someone who likes Assassin's Creed games. Uh-huh. And has definitely played it, I think. You can hear the clutch burning out on this segue. It's okay, because I'm just going to barrel straight through this wall uh-huh. into the living room of Andrew Parsons. Hello. <laughs> Hi, that Andrew. was absolutely special. That was there you gorgeous, go. <laughs> glorious. We always find a way to get there. We always I'm, find I way. was like win- wincing at my into my microphone weeping and wincing at the same time that was great yeah but when it comes when it comes to pirate games i mean yeah black flag is good but nothing beats monkey island no but is there a black is there a monkey island reference in black flag that you know of i'm pretty sure there would be i don't know i mean i never played it for well for for the lols i uh i always (laughs) I, i actually played that game through at least twice. I played it on the 360 and the PS4. And um, I don't know, I just... <clears throat> I loved... I like, like a lot of people, I fell out of love with Assassin's Creed um, in their mm. kind of sort like saggy middle, middle era. Um, and Black mm. Flag was just like... It was the last version of the original ones that was just so good. Plus it was a bit like going on holiday because it was so beautiful and like... It was set in the Caribbean and the characters were cool and it was just, I mean, it took, it just had such a departure from all of the Dua kind of, uh, you know, fairly serious uh, assassins before that. The naval combat was cool. The sea shanties were very much the best thing about it. <laughs> like just going along. That's, I was going to ask you, J.M., about the, um, about Sea of Thieves, because my understanding in that is that you can, can't you like take up an instrument or something yeah you ever you have instruments i actually really love this that you have instruments you there's uh i think four different ones and um you start you start to you can pick your shanty and you can start to play and then if someone else takes their instrument and starts playing they'll play the accompaniment to the song that you're playing that's great so if you, if you start you take the lead and then whoever joins in takes the accompanying uh and if you drop out then they immediately take the lead that is oh, so that's good. Cool. I, I think there's it's... a lot to be said for hanging out in 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 you know, hanging out in game worlds in a non like non combative way, like in a non mm-hmm. um, active way, just just chilling out in a space. And weirdly enough, 
since Black Flag, um, Ubisoft, there's one set of um, features which they've put into their more open world games, which I think is really genius, which is when you've got to travel somewhere as part of a mission, this, mm. they did this in Origins, they did this in Odyssey, and they've done it in Valhalla, um, you can just hold down a button and then it just says, okay, now we're off. And you can even set the camera to, um, you know, like nice. just pick a cinematic angle, uh, not unlike, the, I guess, the Red Dead one. But the genius of, of the, the Assassin's Creed games is that in the case of Black Flag, you were on your boat and the guys would sing to you. In the case of Valhalla, mm. they'll either sing or in Valhalla, they tell you stories. Like oh, Norse, you know, Viking stories about raids yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, if you've got <clears> somewhere to go and you've, you know, you've got, I don't know. It's either that or you second screen it, right? A lot of people will second mm -hmm. screen a game these days. But um, yeah, I just like the idea of holding down that button and then having a nice sea voyage and someone basically singing you a nice song. That's great. What song would you I, sing? Uh... Oh, man, I don't know. I actually, I tell you what, I listened as a direct result of um, Black Flag. I... Uh, became interested in shanties and stuff and not like the traditional ones are cool but there is this really oh well, i think it's a cool album and this is going to um yeah mark me out as someone who is deeply deeply uncool um <laughs> you're on this uh, podcast so <laughs> everybody knows your stock is lowering by the second there's an album called rogues gallery and um i forget who put it together some some producer basically got a load of his celebrity mates together, um, which automatically is making you wince. Like it's, it sounds horrible. Mm. And they all do covers of um, pirate songs and, and like sea shanties and this kind of thing. And it's kind of like some of it's rubbish, like really mm -hmm. crap and, and just kind of super cheesy and exactly what you expect from like a bunch of super superstars doing stuff. However, there are a couple of really amazing bits on it. Nick Cave has a couple of songs on I there. I was just thinking of Nick Cave. I was like, Nick Cave would be great at that shit. Yeah, yeah, he's really, really good. Um, Loudon Wainwright does a really good one. Um, Robin Holcomb, like there's some really interesting, um, really interesting kind of arrangements on there and cool instruments. Like I said, a lot of it's bollocks. But um, every now and again there's a real there's a real banger on there and some of it's really kind of emotive and moving you know it's it's a lot of it's kind of um you know like what's the what, what's the what is it what's the word when you have a house um with a like little like it's like a widow's balcony do you know what i mean oh you yeah know, the widow's walk yeah yeah that's it and where they you know a lot of the songs are designed for that kind of scenario where you're at home and your pirate husband has buggered off and is like pillaging their way through the Caribbean. And uh, yeah, so some of them are, are quite moving and uh, some of them are just fun, like real kind of drinking songs and stuff. In any case, it's called Rogue's Gallery. It's pirate songs and shanties and stuff. It's on Spotify. I enjoyed it. It's good. That's great. Mm, yeah. I'm going to get some of that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I, uh, I've been trying to get my girlfriend to play uh, Sea of Thieves with me. And so I've, I've suggested that when we go on the voyages, I'll read a book out loud while we're in transit so that I'm telling a story just to keep her in the game with me because she's like, I want to play. I want to play. Wow. Like, come on. Come <laughs> sail a boat with me. I'll tell you a story. I think that sounds like a good idea. I mean, I think 
weirdly enough, I think people doing essentially secondary things whilst games are being played, uh, it feels like yeah. a, a, a niche that needs filling. I agree. I, it, it's weird enough, like, you know, I'll be on a ship and then, you know, we're sailing somewhere, we're in the long transit, and someone just starts playing the instrument, and it's it just makes it better. Mm. And it's weird because, like, the game has music, but having someone there, like, playing something on the ship... Like I don't know. Well, yeah, and you, you know that that's another player. That, yeah, that other player they've chosen to yeah to interact. You know, in in that way, and I just think that's that's the real fun of online games, isn't it? Yeah, is uh, is 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 people taking advantage of the situation in a way that makes it just 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 makes it more compelling to be there to be in that world like it's role-playing isn't it you know and that's oh yeah it's what it all is what it's all about at the end of the day I, it reminds me a bit of um again like i'm gonna sound like an advert for ubisoft here but um <laughs> i've got a, i've got a friend and uh, she lives uh in australia so we 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 chat and we play far cry we played far cry uh what was the one set in like america north america uh, far cry it, five 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 yeah and um <laughs> It's funny because, like, you know, because it's a big open world and you can just drive around together, we tend to just, like, drive around doing, picking mm. up missions. But realistically, it's just, like, an opportunity to chat, which isn't just a straight-up um, WhatsApp call. But it is funny because you do tend to, like, take up roles. And, mm. you know, in that, it's like, right, who's driving then? And, you know, mm -hmm. that becomes a question fairly regularly. And it's like, well, do we want to get there fast? Or do we mm -hmm. want to get there in a, in, a, in a vehicle that's on fire? <laughs> and then it's like, okay, well, when we get there, are we going to go loud or are we going to completely screw up the stealth section, which inevitably happens every single time? <laughs> you know, is there a door to go through or is there a window to vault through? Because if there's a window to vault through, I'll be through it. Because there's, not, there's nothing funnier than trying to do like a, a stealth. Someone else is trying to do a stealth thing into a building. And the co-op partner just literally charges through the window, <laughs> and everyone turns. It's really, really funny. And again, it's like it's, it's like um, you know, taking up those roles and playing them. <clears throat> I, I I love that. I don't actually play online um, at all, apart from that. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I I guess I feel like I'm missing out hugely on that world. But I don't have any interest in playing with randoms. It feels like if you're going to be doing it. like sea, sea shanties on a boat, then that yeah. should be with with your mates, really, shouldn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. I don't I don't play a lot of games online, but I can definitely see the appeal at least. I generally solo in online games unless my friends are available, and then it's like yay, and then we hang out, we get in the helicopter in GTA and just fly around and just talk for an hour. Don't even do any missions. Maybe that's, yeah, that's it. Maybe we're all just looking for someone to hang out with. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think just, so. We just want to be loved. So, Andrew, we've finished. I think we've we've made our way through the segue now. <laughs> um, just, why don't we let the folks... Smell that uh, going. <laughs> uh why don't we uh why don't you tell us who you are and what your role is at Devolver? <clears throat> who I am? Well, I am um a producer at Devolver and um I've done that for 
seven and a half years, something like that. Um, I joined in the very, very early days of like indie, indie stuff with the Volvo. Um, and what I do is I help the developers get their games made. Like in the most basic way of, of looking at it possible, we work with developers in the same way that a band would work with a record label. And um, we, as producers, are there to support the developers and to help them uh, with with any questions they have. We're there to help them with the, you know things like business or, or or timing or budget scheduling, all that stuff. And then yeah, things like gameplay feedback or helping them maybe put their game on a console. Um, and I mean, it's like a pretty full on, uh, full suite of. Uh, services that production will offer but yeah production and producers uh, are are there to serve the developers essentially Um, Mm -hmm. well as as it relates to me I work with five other producers and we all look after our games specifically and then we help each other look at each other's games uh, try and bring a fresh uh, perspective on that and then you know there's there's kind of specialisms within production so testing games which is qa uh localizing mm-hmm. them so that's translation um porting them like that they they all have um the the, the other members of the of the production team are all kind of looking after um quite specific aspects like they're all kind of specialists in that and then recently we're looking at getting more help on the mobile side and you know specializing in things like music licenses basically the idea is the premise is that um the the developer shouldn't be able to ask us a question that we can't answer or at least don't know someone who can answer. Mm. That's the idea. How did you, uh, how did you come to be working at Devolver? What was your path? Well, yeah, it's a bit of a circuitous one. Um, essentially, yeah, it goes back quite a long way. So get comfy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) basically went back, back in about 2002, 2003, something like that. I was at university doing it like a media type degree. And, um, I wrote a load of letters to, uh, games companies to do an internship. Uh, that should give you an indication of how long ago this was. So (laughs) actual letters, physical letters. Yeah. 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 Because the the college that the university I was at, which is Bournemouth in the UK, um, Mm -hmm. they specialized in things like radio production, TV production. The, the course I was doing was more like a graphic design kind of web design type thing, but I didn't want to do that. I kind of felt like I wanted to work in games. So I eventually got accepted to do an internship for, um, a group called the gathering of developers and the gathering of developers, (laughs) were a publishing label that was um, run by the founders of Devolver. Um, So back then it was Mike, um, Doug, Harry and Rick. And um, essentially, um, yeah, they they were publishing PC games and they were looking for an intern. The UK arm of which, of the gathering of developers, was um, also featured uh, Graham and Luke. Um, in 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 their positions in, within the gathering, so we published some games. I was with them for a few months, then I went back to university, and then uh, finished my degree. And I came out, did a couple of jobs, and then I got a call from Graham a couple of years later. He was working at Atari, so I worked with him again. 
and then like it just became a litany of like you again for years (laughs) (laughs) um so um what happened then yeah so i i did i worked at atari for a bit um did some design work i was working in marketing i was doing brand pr marketing robbie will be familiar with that world because i was looking after like um like anime type titles i was looking after the namco stable so it was like one piece and naruto and tamagotchi uh launched a couple of tamagotchi games wow you worked on tamagotchi <laughs> yeah i did i did i absolutely smashed it as well the tamagotchi <laughs> on the ds did really well I had a really amazing hair cutting mini game as i recall um <laughs> But yeah, That's how we're so I, credit you in the <laughs> inventor um, of the Tamagotchi. Exactly. So I did that and then basically designed a game whilst I was there. And this was kind of pre all of the existing middleware tools. So I designed a game that got me a job as a designer with a developer. Developer was Firefly Studios. Firefly Studios went on to be published by a group called Gamecock. So Gamecock, once again, mm-hmm. were... Um, they were the, again the founders of Devolver and set up another publisher. <clears throat> the future founders of Devolver, because Devolver didn't exist at this time. Right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yes, so the the future founders of Devolver, um, and uh, once again, so once again, I find myself um, in cahoots with the likes of Harry and Mike, um, and Rick and uh, Graham was there as well. And yeah, so <laughs> and Graham was there as well. This is it, like um, because Hello. Harry, yeah, because Harry and Mike were in the states, and the developer was in the UK. You know, obviously, our, our contact with the publisher—I'm doing like air quotes—was uh, was here, and and it was there that I met um, Sarah CV as well, um, and Hatch. You know, both went on to to do great things with Bethesda so it was kind of like a um yeah again once again meeting all these cool people in another set another completely different set of circumstances fast forward a few years more design jobs uh we we, we all went our separate ways again and then finally I found um Graham was working with Mastertronic and um I did some work with him on their titles and then that kind of brings us up to about 2012, 2013, which is the time when Hotline Miami um, was in the process of being made. Um, Sony were looking for indie content to go on the um, this kind of new strategic content partnership thing, and they needed content for it. But they, you know, we were looking, you know, we were looking to do some work with them, but no one had read any of the manuals for how to get like a game published on the you know on a, on a console so I was like, okay well i can definitely read manuals um so it was that it was like yeah here's the game sort out some testing and some localization for it and then you know figure out who's going to do the porting and, and and just kind of pick that up up until that time i'd never done any production work i was literally just like well I'm organized and I know how to use Excel and I'm not too bad at reading manuals. Plus I'd in my previous design work, I'd kind of used Xboxes and Playstations and stuff. So I kind of, I kind of knew what was up, but it was very much learning at the time. It was like the Devolver guys were like, we don't know what we need, but we need someone, you know, someone who's 
diligent and sensible and you can like get something done basically um so that that brought me still to need the, that <laughs> well yeah exactly every <laughs> everyone real needs skills that. yeah yeah <laughs> um but yeah so that that was the kind of uh it was a long a relatively long journey i guess uh, and quite a circuitous one you know i i always feel like throughout my whole life i always, always felt that the pressure to have like a linear trajectory for a career mm-hmm. you know this sense of okay well you're a you start off as a junior and then you become a you know this you know like a level designer then you become a senior level designer then you're an executive mm. and then you're a director and you know and you have this nice neat line and uh, my career never ever reflected that line and i was like you know it was, it was all sideways and wonky and you know, it's, uh, I, in a funny way, I quite enjoyed that. I was kind of like, yeah, it doesn't have to be a linear, linear upward curve. You can still go and take all sorts of weird um, left and right turns and still end up at the perfect place. And you were the lovely. you were the sole producer, quote unquote, for quite a long time, right? When did yeah. Anna join yeah, you? Yeah. yeah. Um, I was the sole for pre- I mean Nigel you know he he did a lot of the early production work but back yeah. then you know that the way that indie games were being made was like you know devs turning up with cuz it was still very very much like um you know people staying in their in their in their in their mum's houses and living in the, in lofts and just being like hey I I need to make this game and what I need to make that game is a copy of game maker and a laptop <laughs> and yeah. that that was the extent of it and 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 by extension you know production stuff was also like well what do you want to do and they go well, i don't know i think i'll make the game and then about halfway through it i'll have a version that you can probably play and then about halfway again we'll have a version that i think i want to release and then i'd be like do you want to test it and they'd go oh yeah no, that's a good idea <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of um production changed a lot and uh, obviously you add new languages and you add platforms. Like there's so many different things that you add over time. So yeah, Anna, um, I was, I guess, the first kind of designated producer. And then um, Anna joined us around the time of uh, Shadow Warrior 2. Um, mm-hmm. She, um, yeah, was the second producer kind of through the doors. But that was, you know, at the time it was like, yeah, well, we, we could do with someone to help us ferry games through testing. And Anna um was a test lead you know so she was a test lead who worked for one of the groups that we um that we had used up to that point to do all our testing and it it was funny because um one of the last projects that i sent over to that group whilst anna was a test lead was uh omnibus (laughs) (laughs) the legend of omnibus exactly so good i love that game and and, you know i remember sending it to to them and and they were you know because she ran the team in such a specific way in a really good like flexible way i said look i'm going to send you this game um not too many build notes for it but it's wild like uh we need to get it tested you know can you i think you're the only person who can get this thing tested properly and she was like yeah i reckon we can do it so um she you know she, and she looked after devolver games before becoming a producer for devolver for ages and then when we were looking for a bit of extra help it made in in the most basic of of context it was like well she's in poland the developer in poland maybe it'll work 
Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, at the time it was this idea like, well, you know, the physical proximity and the lack of a language barrier might help with getting a game. Because at that time, Shadow Warrior 2 was like, that was a big game. Um, mm -hmm. And at that time, oh, maybe Shadow Warrior 1. Jesus, I can't remember. I think, um, it, oh, I I think it was It was two. two when she came on board. I think it was two, yeah. I think it was two. Yeah. Um, two, two went on a little longer than I expected, so which is why I'm getting confused. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so it was, it, was this, it was this sense of, like, well, she, she's, you know, Anna's in, in Warsaw and the team are in Warsaw, so that, that might help with, you know, the day-to-day -day thing. What you find with testing is, like, it all seems so simple from the outset. You have the game, you want to get it tested for bugs. Like, what's the problem? Just go and put it in and get it tested. But what you find is that the closer you get to your testing team and the better relationship you have with the people testing it, what you find is that the quality of the work tends to go up. Um, but also you, you tend to, you know, there's familiarity which builds over time. So it was kind of important. And, and it has been crucial for us ever since, actually, to... Make sure that, that the testers who work, who we partner with, that they know that their work is valued. You know, that it's not just a question of finding bugs. Although that is like a huge part, of, obviously, of, of the job. Because Devolver often, we, you know, over the years, we have often turned up with, um, you know, <clears throat> a few interesting, interesting games. Weird games, you know, games which, which... What were you thinking of when you said that? <laughs> Look, I love all my children, all right? I love them all. <laughs> right? There's not a single game that we've shipped that I don't, I don't love my, like my own child. I heard that qualifier in there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what you need is you, you, need to, you need to know that when someone sits down and goes, right, this is the Volvo project, like they should be excited about that. They should be like, okay, cool. What is it they're bringing us? I don't know. I remember seeing Heavy Bullets for the first time and being like, this does not look great. But my second thought was, well, it's Devolver, so there's going to be more to it. And then there was. And yeah, was I mean, I, th I think there's, there's so much to be said for, for um, setting up an expectation and then defying it. I think that's a huge yeah. part. I think that's a huge, huge part of um, video games. But also, I, I would argue that's a huge part of any artistic uh, endeavor you know what you're mm -hmm. doing what you're trying to do is is trick someone into thinking they know exactly what to expect and then you know subverting that expectation to the point where it creates that little serotonin boost where they're like oh god you know this <laughs> this does something so different from, from how i thought and that it's alchemical in in the sense that yeah. you don't know what expectation you're going to set up in someone's mind um mm -hmm. all you can hope is that that expectation can then be defied. Mm -hmm. I consistently exceed expectations. Do you? That's, not... that's, that's interesting. So, yeah, I was just going to hmm. say, it's not, not, not hmm. what I heard, but I mean... <laughs> well. Well. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to the Devolver Digital Forecast. Um, we hope you enjoy it. If you'd like to contact the show... You can email us at forkcast at devolverdigital.com. You can also join the Devolver Digital Discord server. There is a Forkcast channel on there where you can talk with us and other listeners of the show. And you can also hashtag Forkcast on Twitter with any questions or feedback or lovely things to say about me and JM. 
Lastly, if you could uh, subscribe on your preferred podcast platform, that would be lovely. And if you leave us a review on iTunes, we will choose the best reviews to hand out some games. It's F-O-R-K-C-A-S-T, Forkcast. Back to the show. So what are, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, like a nerd question here, but mm. what are some tools that indie devs, so <clears throat> I guess in my imagination, the big struggle for someone making a game as an artist, uh, or for a game to have real value, there should be art, artistic merit. So you have to have an artist making it. And I guess in my mind, a lot of artists are not rigorous and structurally minded a lot of them definitely are and are very capable of that but a lot are a little more flighty a little more um you know woo woo let's say uh so what are that means what does woo woo mean no i don't know i was just trying to say uh (laughs) magical mythic like you know like like it's like i'm looking for my muse my inspiration like Mm -hmm. like i can't work without without feeling inspired to work kind of thing like they 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 feed off inspiration or um you know they get lost in pursuing a particular idea uh and don't like don't stay on task uh and and maybe what are tools for you know small teams or indie devs what are things they can do to help themselves like what are what are good production tools to keep teams moving forward it's a good question i mean you know it's a lot, of, a lot of developers don't, you know, they may not need producers. I think that's yeah. one one of the most important. Um, it's one of the most important aspects about making games is that it's okay to make games just for fun, and it's okay to do artwork that takes forever. Like, you know, I, I think one of the the worst worst kind of aspects of the commercialization of games, and I guess we we are responsible for this to a certain extent due to the success of some of our developers. One of the worst things is the sense that something which brings you genuine joy and allows you creative um, output should also equate to, like, making money. And, mm. you know, the, 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 the two don't necessarily always go together, you know, especially yeah. if you have a vision which is going to be hard to convey like there's there's nothing wrong with that and i would argue that in again in all forms of art uh the con the, the the more complex the idea to convey um you know potentially the less the less commercially viable it is but you know i think the wonderful thing about games is that they're creative you know they are a creative outlet and you should allow for um that 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 time that moment to just grip you and to do whatever that basically whatever the fuck you want are we swearing are we not are we beeping are we swearing yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, i agree with, oh sorry <clears throat> i was gonna say like that that said if you want to make if you want to make a game which has some commercial viability then you need to finish it and that that doesn't mean that you need to make a game which you think is going to be like commercially acceptable but it does mean it has to be finished and mm. the two things are not mutually exclusive. Like, you can make a game which is as distasteful as you like, and it might well, you know, it might well, um, you know, catch someone's eye, or you know, someone might really enjoy it. It might have subject matter which is interesting from an intellectual point of view, and therefore people want to buy it, want to experience it. Like, there are plenty of games like that. Um, but crucially, 
games which are on like most i'd say the majority of games which are on steam and all of the games which are available on consoles can be finished and they are finished um or at least have a loop that is so complete in the case of like a multiplayer game a loop that is so complete that finishing it and and getting to the end of that loop be it a a loot loop or a, you know the end of a round or whatever like there has to be that sense of yeah i've done that and now i'm going to do some mm. more of that and i think one of the major things you know one of the one of the simplest things that developers can do to help their production processes is say to yourself literally sit down with a beer and say to yourself how do i want the player to feel at the beginning how does that feeling change in the middle of the game like do they do they get more powerful are there more enemies is does it move faster are they better at the game and then how do you want them to feel at the end and if you say you know i i want players to feel exhausted by the end of my game <laughs> you know like if you take a game like last of us 2 and have you both played it nope no okay well i won't spoil it but that game is exhausting <laughs> Yeah. really really exhausting and and it is such an extraordinary artistic endeavor but it's like you feel wrung out at the end of it and i would be very surprised if there isn't a post-it note somewhere up in that office which <laughs> says you know we need players to feel things by the end that they thought they thought they knew what they were going to feel and then they felt something different and it's like even if you're making the most simple um you know one bit graphics just black and white uh, or, or my first Unity type project. Mm -hmm. If you have, if you play it for five minutes and you feel one way, and then at the end of a twenty-five minute session of it, you feel like, oh yeah, no, I've changed, I've changed. That's changed in my mind. I've enjoyed that more. It's frustrated me more. It got harder. Whatever it is, and there's an end to it. Some level of yeah, I'm done with that. That's the beginning of your production process. Like that is the crux of everything you do because it's like, well, okay, so what does the end look like? You know, if, mm. if, if, if the beginning, like, for example, if you're making a puzzle game, let's say at the mm. beginning of the game, you, you've got one puzzle, and at, but at the end of the game, you've got 20 puzzles. There's your production plan right there. It's like, well, how long did it take you to make one? And if the answer is two weeks and you go, okay, well, it's two weeks times 20. And it's going to take you, you know, 40 weeks to make the game. That's that's a production schedule. I mean, it's not accurate, but that's that's the basics <laughs> of how you would start doing it. So it doesn't yeah. you don't need like specialist tools. You just need to have that idea of, yeah, there is going to be a point where this is going to be done. Well, I think you uh you said something that probably people won't necessarily be the one thing that they pick out when you're talking about you know getting into production and stuff is that you just you said oh i'm very organized and i know how to use an excel spreadsheet and that's a bit of a joke obviously but being or be, having a plan and being well organized uh should be the basis for kind of any artistic endeavor really if if you're serious about it like if you're doing something for fun that's great um but if if you're serious about it it's like there's work involved and and nobody wants to work forever so you should probably for your own sanity i feel like when you're embarking on a project you should you should want to you know kind of like 
have an end date in your mind, no matter how scary it may seem. Because otherwise, like, what are you doing? You're just going to go on and on forever until someone yeah. tells you to stop. Oh, it's true. And and it can be kind of psychologically very, very beneficial to see see the end. You know, you know, over the years, you know, it's like a classic production technique. You just go, OK, well, right now you don't have a release date. So let's pick one. Like, let's pick a date. It's going to be June 23rd next year. Like, and let's oh, use fuck, that. Is that when our game's coming out? <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't even started it. But this, this is it. And it's like, well, okay, well, we've got until June 23rd next year. So what does that mean? You know, and that is a hugely useful thing. I think part of the problem, to your point, Ravi, is part of the problem is, um, especially, you know, picking up on your description at the beginning, JM, of, of developers and specifically artists as well. Like, I feel like that side of the business is distasteful. I think people are um, much happier firing up Photoshop or Blender or Unity or Unreal than they are firing up Excel or Microsoft Project or Asana or Instagram or any of those things which are necessary to like plan out a project in any detail. And I feel in a, in a, in a slightly more frustrating way, I feel like people think it's kind of cool to be disorganized. Um, mm. you know, to, to kind of say like, oh, you know, in that kind of classic, I'm an um, artist, I'm an artist way, which <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that unless you're asking for money from people, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like, because I think that attitude is 100% required for really great art. Like you, you do need to do that. And, you know, um, it's, I, I would argue that if you're talking about this in the context of like bands and stuff, you need that. You need to, you need for people to be able to say, you know, um, I don't want to have to think about the details of how I'm going to put my record out. I just want to make my record. I'll die if I don't make it. If I don't make this record and it's not about the fame and not about the sales, like I'm going to die. Same with any other art form. I think that you need, you know, you need the artist to feel that way. And it's for this reason that lots of the lots of our kind of most successful developers are often a partnership. You know, if, if if it's normally you know one or two people, sometimes more, sometimes there's a little group of three, four, five people, and they bind each other together. And what they do is they provide that supporting framework to say, mm. yes, you are an artist, and that's wonderful. But at some point, we're going to have to take that art, chop it into bits, and then layer it into <laughs> Unity, and make sure that it works when you parallax it kind of thing. So that's not going to stop you doing that beautiful art. However, um, there will be a point where it will get handed over to a tech artist. And at that point, you're not going to be able to change it. And I think, you know, one of the things that I think is really wonderful about Devolver's um, developers and lots of developers, but um, lots of the teams that we work with have really good partnerships in that way. Like they, they have excellent balance between um, someone with an eye on the spreadsheet and someone with an eye on the canvas. And I'm not saying that you have to have both, but, you know, the other it great helps. thing about it is, um, is, is that, you know, you can, I don't know, sometimes you can pair people up like that. You know, sometimes you can find that partnership for them or, or, or at least tell them like, Hey, we want this to work, but you know, get, get partnered up with someone else i think that's what's really good about the indie scene in general actually is that the uh, willingness to collaborate i think is really really inspiring 
definitely. And it, just going back to what you were saying, it's funny when you started talking about uh, bands. So I was going to say, like, my best mate is in a band, and uh, they've been they've been around for a few years now. Um, you know, done a couple of albums, and you know, just just recorded their new one, and now they're talking to like big big record labels and i'm sure there are like other bands who might feel like aggrieved when something like that happens right say like if you're coming up in a local scene and there's um a bunch of bands who are all mates and then uh one band sort of quote unquote makes it or whatever or breaks out of that scene it's not necessarily anything to do with the artistic nature you know of all of these bands and one happens to catch the eye or whatever it's like i know my in the case of my friend's band they they wanted it the most like they work the hardest uh and not just like from a songwriting standpoint it's like rehearsing so that when you play shows you're really good <laughs> you know and people can see that you're a good band and uh being forceful about you know uh chasing up uh gigs and tours and things like that and merch and just you know, yeah like being they're still artists they still want to create the music that they create and this and by the way they're not like a, a commercial sounding band in any way shape or form but you know there's a niche out there for them and they capitalized on it by you know taking it seriously and treating it like not like their job, but treating it with the, you know, the respect an art form like that deserves, you know, um, to, you know, in order to get to that next level. Have you, have you heard of a book called, um, it's called uh, The War of Art? No. Um, so this is a book that the, the esteemed Michael Wilson Esquire um, recommended <laughs> to me and um, it is a brilliant book um, written by a bloke called Stephen Pressfield and if you think that's impressive that I can remember that I'm reading it off Google um, but <laughs> I, I, read, I read it a while ago but it's very inspiring and, and, and it's all about the amount of work it takes to execute a creative endeavor it's all about the uh, like the the graft required to make talent, uh, to, to give talent space. And yeah. it's about, you know, this idea that, you know, I, I think a lot of people want to feel like this. Musicians especially feel like this. You know, you, you, you want the muse to take you. You want to sit down and you want to, uh, you know, sit down with your guitar and then just have this moment where you go, oh god it's it's my this is my this is my yesterday this is my harvest moon this is my thing and the the problem is is that you you forget that in order to write you know yesterday mccartney would have had to have written 50 100 150 absolute shockers like (laughs) each each one just you know maudlin and, and boring or or the lyrics didn't quite fit or it was all a bit crap or he played them to his mates and they all laughed, you know? And I think that the problem is, is you, you're comparing yourself to the final product. And, you know, this happens in games a lot, you know, especially in a scene, you know, you get a scene of, of developers 
when people see this kind of success and they just think that it's like, oh yeah, you you got the break or you got lucky, but you yeah. know when you look at a game like Hotline Miami, um, you know the, the the thing with Hotline Miami is everyone wanted to emulate uh, the work that that Dennis and Jonathan had done without putting the graft in of releasing hundreds of games um, on itch and you know mm. on on the um, uh, someone so I'm sure someone can correct me there was there was a kind of forum where these games were being shared and that's where those guys learned their chops of you know learned their how to make uh, mistakes when developing games but crucially how to get game feel down it, you know incidentally it's also um, where Vlambeer um germinated and it's like you know people want everyone wants the hotline miami moment but no one wants to sit down and write and write 50 games that no one's heard of (laughs) and and i think that's that's the kind of crux of the matter and and you know what the the what i always say to developers when they're talking about wanting to make games for a living and wanting to do this stuff my advice is always just like keep making games and keep finishing them as small as they are like finish it put it up there and do another one um because if you just open up unity and go right well i'm gonna make the next you know fancy indie title um without putting that work in you might well you might if you're very lucky you might do something that is a close enough proximity copy of success but it is not the same as that artistic endeavor, you know, that sense of, um, yeah, this is coming from inside me. I think, I mean, that's a bit of a rant, I guess, but there, there is one final aspect to this, which, um, like, I'm a bit mean to, to people in general when I talk to them about <laughs> games. And there is, there is one final aspect to, to this, which is, it is about personality. It's not, you know, Everyone has a MacBook and a copy of Unity and they call themselves game developers and that's fine. Like everyone should have a hobby. I've got hobbies, we've all got hobbies. Like there's definitely 100% space for everyone to be making games and for some of them to be excellent. However, there is not room for everyone to be um, successful and there's not room for everyone to be genuinely different and unique. And I think the music analogy holds up here because we all know someone who can play the guitar. And a lot of us know people who can play the guitar in a, you know, the electric guitar in a really like fancy, you know, fast way. Like maybe they're really good at shredding. Maybe they're Talking really about amazing. me, aren't you, Andrew? Oh, yeah, Talking exactly. About yeah. how, how, how an amazing guitarist I am. Exactly. All that shredding, all that, all that uh, Ingwie Malmsteen impression. That's that it. Yeah. Um, Classical but, maestro. But, the point being is that we all know people who are like that and who can play like that, and that's that's great. None of us know Jimi Hendrix. Like, it's, well, he's it's dead, impossible. Andrew. Well, this is my point, Robbie. You can't <laughs> because it's a unique personality. It's a unique soul. And, and you know, you, you think to yourself, well, yeah, no, that's one in a million. And it's like, yeah, that's right. It is one in a million. And the it, same thing happens, you know, if you're in a bar and, you know, all of us would have been in a bar and you've all heard someone do Wonderwall or Wish You Were Here or something like that. We've all heard someone solo with a guitar do that. And most of the time you ignore them. But if you think about someone like, I don't know, Jeff Buckley, like a Leonard Cohen song, when mm. sung by Jeff Buckley, is so spellbinding <laughs> that it tears your soul apart. 
<laughs> and and it, you know if you've ever been lucky enough to be in a bar and seen someone who really does have that power within them they can be singing mary had a little lamb and it'll do it to you it will make you feel tampered with which is the best that's, that's what music should do <laughs> and it's like and i always think this with with games it's like everyone's got a copy of the software lots of people are really good at using it and everyone's got the tools they're like the tools are pretty democratic now i would say um, yeah. between mm-hmm. game maker unity unreal you know um it's like yeah the the, the tools are democrat democratized so democratized so once you understand that the question then becomes what's inside you that makes this different because the amount of unity projects i've seen in my time with devolver you know it, it, there are just thousands of them and they all look very similar there's nothing wrong with that but every now and again you see one and you go wow that has definitely come from deep within someone and is different and it uses the same tools mm. the same shaders the same gameplay mechanics like i'm not expecting those to be different but there's just something about the way it's done that i i often think it's just like a personality thing yeah, you see it recently with that uh, phantasmagoria. Is it called phantasmagoria? Mm, no, uh, <clears throat> phasmophobia. Phasmophobia. That's just, you look at that and you just go, that's a Unity demo. Like, it's all, you know, bog standard Unity assets. It's got the same lighting from all, every Unity, you know, indie demo that you've ever seen. But it just has that certain something that makes mm. it like a massive hit. Yeah, 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 this is exactly it. And, you know, what I love about this is, you know, again, going back to the democratic angle, is that sometimes you'll get a game that looks a bit rough. And I'm not talking about that game specifically, but, you know, the indie the indie world is wonderful for that because um, people will still see through the, the roughness mm. of, a, of presentation and they will see the, the personality of the creator. And it, it's... Um, what the other thing I really like about this, uh, I don't have as much experience in this, but I was talking to another producer, another developer producer about this the other day, and I was talking about, you know, this this very thing about how you can see a developer's personality in indie games, and um, one of our producers done a lot of work on Call of Duty, uh, ships ships a few of those, and he was saying, yeah, um, you could always tell like certain level designers you know if you're playing a call of duty campaign you'd move into a certain mm. space and he'd be like oh yeah this is this is rockets design this guy called rocket like, <laughs> or, or this is you know yeah this is definitely jack like the way this level's yeah. playing out like this has definitely come from that designer and that's yeah. amazing like when you think about that's a triple a you know the biggest franchise you can get it's absolutely huge and yet people are still able to imprint on it a certain level of like personal uh input and i just think that that is amazing that's wicked that's gorgeous so the takeaway here folks is andrew (laughs) says video games should make you feel tampered with (laughs) uh yeah speaking of tampered with uh (laughs) before we started this andrew you said you had some some production advice for the forecast yeah produce us oh man that was oh yeah 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 no we were talking about um we were talking about (laughs) a certain other a person that we all we all feel um 
diminutive in their presence because they're such a powerful social media presence. And what I was thinking was, oh. um, you you could get them in for like a you know a weekly thing, like a, I don't know. Do oh, they do like they a cook? second podcast? Well, like just get him in to do like two seconds or five seconds or you know. Oh, oh just like commercial, a, like yeah, yeah. Because then you can say featuring that person. <laughs> oh, nice! Like a that lamprey. Yeah, exactly. Like exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, you've just so you've just suggested a feature. Yeah. 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 Like ah. what's that? What's that person having for dinner this 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 time? Like it. I like it. There's a there's a. a professional wrestler called chris jericho who has a podcast and at the start of his podcast every week duff mckagan from guns and roses tells a really bad joke <laughs> that's amazing. on every episode there you go. yeah that's that sounds like a feature Boom. to me that's pretty that good is, that's good that's some good production advice that is some good production advice yeah, I mean, don't 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 ask me for actual production advice because I, <laughs> I would never ask you for actual production advice. Although you'll be talking of production, you will be, hopefully you guys are appreciating the fact that I got my good microphone out for this. Normally, I'm you, sat here shouting at my monitor. You, um, oh, you sound great. On, on you sound the... you sound as good as you look, Andrew. Oh, which is gorgeous. It is. There, there it is. is. We should That's probably let the for. listeners at home know if you if you like the sound of Andrew, ooh, you'll like the look yeah. of Andrew. Oh, look at that. That's why I'm here. Checks in the mm. mail, Robert. Can you keep this mic for the the board the the, the company meeting yeah. tomorrow? Yeah, of course. Keep yeah, this yeah. one going. Read you guys a little bedtime story. It'll be fine. Yes, please. Updates from production land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see quiet, having though. having Having you two on the podcast this week is only further highlighting how annoying my voice is. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, I think I think I think Norwich is a good accent. <laughs> if it is, if you're Alan, is that who it's named after? <laughs> a guy named Norwich. Where are you from, Robbie? I'm from I'm from Norfolk. Yeah, just Norfolk. outside Norwich, yeah, from a little a little old town called East Dereham. Mate, you should play Assassin's Creed. Norwich is in it. Is it? Yeah. I think it is. Yeah. I'm going to say yes. Valhalla? Do you get to raid it? Well, I mean, East East Anglia. Yeah, I mean, East Anglia is a a famous... What's the village called? Viking, Saxon. East Dereham is where I'm from. Mm. It's not there, is it? I don't don't think so. It's not on the map, Robbie. It's not real. Unbelievable. Oh, that's a shame. They've got a gaming cafe, apparently. In Assassin's Creed Valhalla. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Those Vikings really did think of everything.
show with us, Andrew. It's been a real pleasure. Do you have anything you'd like to share with us before we part ways for the day? Um, yeah, if... You don't if, have if, to. Oh. Well, I don't... Yeah. If your life seems pretty shit, it probably is. <laughs> That is, the, that is the end. There's nothing more to be said. I thought you were gonna go into like a uh, always look at the bright side of life, like a like if life's a piece of shit when you look at it. But no, that was this is the real life. This, this is not a Monty Python sketch. <laughs> that was perfect. I'm literally gonna end it on that. that was Sweet. <laughs> 